Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. We've talked about stealth technology before. The use of composites, sharp angles and radar-absorbing paint to make military aircraft and surface ships almost invisible to the enemy. And we've talked about UAVs, unmanned air vehicles, like this helicopter. They can fly entire missions by themselves. And now we're talking about this, a UUV, the world's first fully autonomous, unmanned, multi-mission stealth submersible. They've named it Talisman after the good luck charm. But if they ever send this baby against you, chances are your luck will run out. Talisman is a working prototype designed by BAE Systems in Portsmouth to showcase the British company's advanced technologies. Her propulsion and operating systems are being thoroughly tested before undergoing a second round of sea trials. Unmanned vehicles are going to be absolutely key to future military doctrine. That's no prediction. According to Talisman project manager Andy Tong, it's already happening because increasingly it's becoming important to keep the man out of the danger area. It's important to drive the cost down. Now, if you take the Talisman vehicle, Talisman could actually replace a specialist mine hunting ship. So the cost becomes very much lower. And mine hunting is one of the mini-sub's primary roles. Able to carry several of these Archerfish guided torpedoes in its munitions bay, Talisman can move silently towards a minefield and fire them without risking human life or the loss of a billion-dollar ship. It's not that big, just under five metres long, but it's enormously strong. This carbon fibre hull is designed to operate at depths well in excess of 300 metres, and it's very nimble. Using these vectoring thrusters, it can hover or turn 360 degrees in its own length. Using high-tech collision avoidance and super-accurate navigation systems, unmanned aircraft can fly across the world and back in complete safety. Now, as BAE designed many of those systems, it was only natural they'd find a use for them in Talisman. Talisman is just as smart as many of its flying brothers. It can spend weeks at sea, following orders downloaded into its mission computers or following new orders sent via satellite communications. And if it detects a threat, it can shut itself down and loiter on the seabed. There are fail-safes built within the vehicle, built within its software, and built into hardware systems that are overriding the software to put you into a safe mode, shut down, go quiet, go deep, stay out of the way. As for underwater obstacles, Talisman uses a sophisticated collision avoidance system. It's able to see the problem, think it through, and decide on a solution. The sensors we carry are mainly acoustic, and they work on high-frequency sound, and they're detecting returns from the obstacle. The smaller the obstacle, the higher the frequency and the shorter the range. While Talisman's primary role is surveillance and reconnaissance, its payload flexibility allows it to go from passive to active very quickly. So if the need arises, it can have a very nasty sting in its tail. Although BAE Systems is reluctant to discuss its full potential, they don't deny Talisman could carry a range of weapons in its internal munitions bay. 
But as future generations are developed, BAE Systems believes UUVs will dominate underwater warfare, adding sabotage, close-quarter combat and counter-terrorism to its mission capabilities. Okay, sky, water, underwater, <laughs> we're toast. And folks, we're not the only country doing this. Listen to this. Russia's new generation of nuclear subs will be armed with underwater drones and robots in addition to conventional weapons. We're talking about battle robots which can be released by the submarine. So submarines are becoming autonomous as well and, and as well as having the capability to send out autonomous underwater armies. I mean, folks, that's pretty creepy. And if that wasn't scary enough, the same Russian outfit working for these engineers said this, quote, the whole world is moving in this direction. But that's still not all. These drone swarms are also coming to the land. As I mentioned earlier, when Skynet hits, folks, you will have no place to hide, starting with robotic tanks. Let's take a look at that.
Hey, hey, who wouldn't want to have one of those things on your side? Or a whole bunch of them. And that's just it. You want to make sure that they're on your side because if they're not, again, you're toast. There is no hiding from these guys. But you not only need autonomous tanks on land to defend you or carry you away, but you need something to carry your supplies to you as well. Well, guess what? They've got that too. Introducing the Crusher. It can go just about anywhere fully autonomous. There's DARPA again, shocker. They always seem to be behind this uh, stuff, don't they? But did you notice that was back in 2006? And again, what do you have now that we don't even know about? Maybe there's other areas out there other than the famous Area 51 that they're experimenting with and bringing this stuff to light as this next interview shows. Let's take a look at that. Well, uh, John, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time out to uh, let us interview you and share some of the knowledge that you have. And uh, so you were in the military. Uh, if you don't mind, if you could share what branch that was, how long you were in. and well, I was in for just over 20 years into the United States Air Force. Okay. And I was in the medical field. Um, 
a whole period of time. Okay. And uh, so obviously during that time there were some uh, interesting things I guess you could say that you saw and, and as we've talked you know behind the scenes uh, obviously things that you uh, can't share but uh, obviously in that background you've come across some interesting things. Yeah, um, you've got a lot of different things that have gone on throughout the years. I've been in radiology for 35 years, and there's been a lot of different things in medical advancement. Um, things have changed an awful lot over the years. Yeah. Well, and uh, uh, as I you know, shared with the viewers, uh, my general rule is uh, basically anything that's released to the public now, we're actually about 20 years behind the technology. And, uh, and part of your background, not only with the military, uh, but now even currently, uh, is in the medical realm. And uh, you had uh, shared with me that uh, one of the things that you're noticing with the medical technology is uh, they're starting to move to the next stage where uh, the human element is being removed and uh, the computer slash artificial intelligence is now beginning to do the job for you. Medical technology has gotten so far advanced where as when you're doing an MRI on an individual that once you place them on the table and you get it lined up, you can actually just hit go, and the machine, the computer, will scan the entire object or anatomy that you're trying to demonstrate without any human interaction at all. Um, you can just hit, uh, we teach these computers, specifically in the brain, 27 points, anatomical points, and once it's learned that, it can scan any portion of anatomy for any different diagnostic reason or any diagnosis without any help from the operator. Right. Which, if you think about it, starts to envision a little bit of Hollywood there with the uh, Star Trek and some of the scenes there where basically they bring the person in and the machine does the automatic scanning and all the other guy does, the medical doctor guy, he just reads the results and the machine basically did all the work for you. Actually, going on that same idea, we are currently performing what is the quantitative brain analysis, total volume of the brain. And we actually have computer programs that actually completely analyze the perfusion of the brain and also the volume of the brain where you can tell if somebody's gonna possibly have early Alzheimer's um, or you have the problem where how the brain perfuses. We don't have to do any of the post-processing on that at all. The computer will do it for us. Right, so now you get into predictive uh, technology. Uh, we're mapping the human brain and being able to scan the human brain. Uh, you can see certain patterns, whether it be physical effects that could come down the road. Um, or I, I know we had uh, talked about uh, uh, one of the things I've come across in the research is uh, with mapping the human brain and being able to uh, utilize this technology that you could start to uh, really pull off something close to, if you will, reading a person's mind. Uh, be, being able to uh, uh, almost tell what they're thinking uh, on some of the results that I've seen uh, based on the fact that knowing the human brain so well now with this technology, uh, when you think about certain things, it activates certain portions of the brain and that could all be monitored. Um, one of the areas that you can brush on is whether you have auditory malfunction, olfactory malfunction, uh, optic malfunctions, but verb generation, but also to the creative centers of the brain. Um, whereas if you were to identify that area of the brain that has creativity, right. and you know that in order to come up with a lie, you have to be creative. You have to think about it. You have to think about it. Right. Well, if you can identify that area when you get somebody 
in a scanner and you're actually looking at the brain, you can actually tell if they're using the, that creative center of the brain or if it's a spontaneous reaction where that portion of the brain wouldn't react right. at all. So it becomes the ultimate lie detector. Well, not necessarily a lie detector because, as we know, polygraphs aren't admissible in court either. Right. right. So you, yeah, we may know whether or not the person's being creative in their answer, but yeah. um, you really can't put any substantiation on it saying this is a lie because that's not admissible. Right. One of the, one of the uh, videos that I show in the, the documentary is an actual a conversation uh, during uh, Chief Justice Roberts' initial hearing before he was elected officially to the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And he was being grilled by then um, um, Senator Joseph Biden, who obviously is now Vice President. And uh, it's actually kind of a creepy video uh, if you fast forward today with the technology. And he was asking uh, Roberts that uh, he was concerned about if he got elected as Chief Justice, which he is, uh, he was concerned about how he was going to rule on a couple things. And one of the things that uh, is on that tape is uh, the legality of can a microscopic tag be implanted into a person's body to track their every movement on that. And he says this, he says, you will rule on that before your tenure is over, mark my words. Then he goes on to the second thing. And uh, in other prophecy studies that uh, we've done, uh, we've talked about that microscopic tag. Is this in fact a precursor to a mandate uh, towards a mark of the beast type technology and Congress is actually talking about that and has been for many years but he goes on to the next one and he says just out of the blue he says oh by the way also I'm concerned about another discussion that's currently underway and that is can brain scans be used to determine a person's violent tendencies there's actual discussion about that and he says the words again mark my words you will rule on that before my tenure your tenure is up well, you have to understand that as we discover more and more how the brain reacts to any paradigm that we might give it, that I would imagine that at some point you will be able to identify those areas of the brain that create hostility. And therefore, if you were to get somebody worked up and this area too would be greatly profoundly um, demonstrated, that might be the case. Yeah. And, but the point being is that technology is not 50 years down the road. That no, technology. It's right around the corner. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, if we know this now, what do they really have that we don't know that's not being released to the public uh, is, is another interesting question to ponder. <laughs> and of course, we don't uh, talk about those things that we don't talk about. That's right. That's right. So. Uh, you know, uh, uh, another interesting thing that at least it goes through, through my brain, no pun intended, uh, is when you take a look at this technology and it's like, okay, so we're going to go into a world where they're going to use brain scans to basically send off an alert, you know, maybe it's through the airport or any public place or a government building or, you know, kind of moving towards that big brother kind of society, if you will. And uh, all of a sudden the computer spits out, oh, we scanned his brain and that person has violent tendencies. And to me, the concern with that is uh, the misnomer that, quote, computers make no mistakes. And we get so reliant on this technology, wouldn't it become the perfect tool, if you will, if you wanted to get rid of somebody and haul them away? They go through a machine, and you, you who cares what the scan really said? You send that alarm off, nobody's going to know, right? Same thing with, like, DNA. DNA, obviously, it's very accurate, but we assume that it, there's never a mistake, and I don't think that's true. 
but we're so reliant on DNA samples and technology. Um, could this kind of technology be used to also conveniently get rid of people who might disagree on certain things? Well, you're putting back in the human element of it. Yeah. And where the results could be easily manipulated. And at that point, you, you could more or less get it to say whatever you want it to say. Right. right. Whether it's accurate or not. Right. Which is very concerning. Absolutely. So, you know, another little uh, neat thing that, uh, you know, one of the first times that uh, you and I had uh, met and I was able to stay at your place and, and of course, Las Vegas being not too far away from Area 51, uh, Groom Lake area, and a hot spot that uh, obviously the topic of UFOs, but not only UFOs and aliens, but, but also with uh, advanced technology. And uh, if you recall on that conversation we had, uh, you know, I posed the questions like, um, you know, everybody, when you start talking about advanced technology, super technology, um, UFOs, aliens, things of that nature, they automatically bring up, well, yeah, haven't you heard about Area 51? And if you recall, the question I had uh, to you was, well, wait a second, I wonder if that's somewhat of a, a deterrent for people to ask the bigger question. Because to me, the bigger question is that's Area 51, right? Uh, and there are experimentations and advanced technology, I think that uh, has been verified that has gone on there for many years. But wait a second, what about area one through 50 and areas 52 and above? What about those areas? What else is going on there that we don't know about? But for some reason that becomes the, the gravitation spot and we stop there and don't think outside the box. What else is really going on? Well, as you recall, I do remember the conversation and at that time, we went ahead and pulled up my laptop, yeah. and we pulled up the entire region of the southwest, and there was like the southern Nevada area. They are all cordoned off into different areas, geographical areas, um, that are no-fly zones. They are uh, don't enter government, um, government access only areas, yeah. and I showed you where Area 52 was at, yeah. and a lot of people have actually thought that since so much attention came to Area 51, they had moved things over to an alternate area. Right. Whether it be 52 or any <laughs> other number that we want to ask about. Yeah. But all the zones are there. Yeah. You just have to um, look on your normal map. You yeah. look on it on any computer, and those areas are there. But there's the public doesn't think that there's any secretive things out there. Right. So they all focus on Area 51. Right. Yeah, and that's actually an easy thing to demonstrate. I've done that myself. Uh, when we were doing some shots uh, for this documentary outside of Creech Air Force Base, again, not too far from Las Vegas here, uh, went ahead and went on to uh, Google Maps and uh, just began to look at some satellite photos. And as I began to pan out, I began to see these circles all over throughout the desert. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was everywhere. And then doing more research, that well, that's where the, the testing for the bombs were. And the craters are still there. But the average Joe, you'll never see them because it's the desert. Who's gonna, you know, park your car and walk 18 miles over this ridge, and you're just not gonna, you're just not gonna do it. But there's all kinds of things going on out there that, uh, you know, as long as you stay on the main road, which again, who's gonna go trek out in the desert? You're gonna die, right? And uh, or you're gonna get so far, and guess what? They're gonna probably, come get you. Yeah, they're probably gonna rush you. <laughs> as we know, as in Area 51, it is a contracted security system. Yeah. Um, People are not allowed. They keep expanding the borders, so you can't get very close. You have to be several miles away now. Yeah. 
and use very high-powered lenses to get any looks at this area? Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, that's actually because of those reports we heard. Uh, that's why when we did uh, uh, our other documentary on UFOs, The Great Last Day's Deception, we purposely stayed on this side of the ridge uh, and shot it outside of Rachel, uh, which I don't even know why they call it a town. Uh, it's just a little thing. There's nothing out there. It's just a little alien thing. And, uh, but that's where we, we did our filming uh, because I heard, we heard reports of they're not only going to come get you, they're going to come get you and they're going to confiscate your equipment, right? And we didn't want to have all of our cameras taken, uh, but they're also going to haul you off to jail. And deadly force is authorized. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with the uh, Area 51, obviously it's a hot spot for talking about certainly UFOs and aliens, but also uh, advanced uh, technology, certainly uh, flying technology, aircraft, and uh, been a lot of different reports uh, coming out of there uh, of some of the uh, some of the aircraft and the advanced aircraft and just how fast these things can travel. Well, not just that, but you have to understand the U-2 was first tested out there. The SR-71 was first tested out there. Anytime that the United States government has somehow acquired uh, Soviet or other military technology, it's tested out there. And there have been reports for more than 30 years now of an aircraft that put a sonic footprint from Hawaii to the Southern Nevada desert and then disappeared. And that aircraft was traveling in excess of Mach 6. Yeah. And you have to understand the SR-71 didn't travel above uh, Mach 3.2. Right. So and that was 30 years ago. At least 30 years yeah. ago. Another report that I might uh, be able to share on another interview was uh, just in essence, uh, it fits with the exact same time frame. And this is something I encountered when I was in uh, uh, California and a guy sharing his conversation with the Air Force pilot. But basically, in essence, he was uh, flying planes that he reported, again, same time frame about 30 years ago, that was going across the United States in one hour. Might be the same aircraft and very well could be. So, But obviously the point being is uh, technology is much more typically advanced than what people think and not just, and again, we're talking about a conversation. This wasn't five years ago this happened. This wasn't 10 years ago. This was 30 years ago. And as we know, technology's advanced since then. Yeah, so if that was Mach 7 30 years ago, how fast is it really going today? And not just how fast, but what shape, what sizes, and a lot of these reports that people are saying they're seeing, I mean, what really kind of technology is being used out there? Well, the world won't know until the world's ready to know. Yeah, basically, basically. Well, John, once again, thank you. My pleasure. Appreciate you sharing. No problem. And maybe that time is now for the world to know just how advanced this technology really is. 30 years ago, aircraft approaching Mach 7, and yes, just how many Area 51s are there out there, so to speak. And DARPA is one of those entities that's been out there for decades behind this stuff for quite some time now, including robotic vehicles and machines as we've been seeing. But that's right, not to be outdone by the crushers we saw earlier. With the help of DARPA, they got another one out there. They're promoting also robotic Jeeps and unmanned trucks. That's right, move over military personnel. Who needs any person for anything anymore, including bringing supplies to the battlefield? Let's take a look at these.
Yeah, who couldn't use a fleet of those, huh? But that's right, just in case you need something a little smaller, more personal to bring supplies to you, your wish is their command. You can now have your very own pack mule called Alpha Dog or Big Dog. And believe it or not, walking robotic pack dogs and animals have been in development for quite some time. Let's take a look. For thousands of years, when we've invented new forms of transportation, many have been based on a human insight not found in nature at all, the wheel. But there are plenty of places wheels can't go, even ones wearing a belt of tank tread. The inability of our machines to traverse difficult terrain has dire consequences in the battlefield and in search and rescue. But while wheeled vehicles struggle off-road, there are some creatures getting around on legs. That's had engineers wondering, what lessons can we learn from animal movement? Can we give our machines a leg up? Walking is easy for animals. Even a toddler can do it. Excuse me, sir. Put them back together right And thanks to movies, creating walking machines seems easy too. Just look at C-3PO from Star Wars. Nice to see a familiar face. How rude. Or it's walkers. You'd think the problem's been solved. But in real life, it's hard. One of the best-known early attempts at a walking machine is General Electric's walking truck from the 60s. It even tackled uneven terrain. But it took a human operator to decide where to place each foot, one at a time, an exhausting task. By the 70s, computer control automated the walking motion in a series of crawlers built around the world though still driven by human operators. These kept a tripod of legs on the ground, maintaining stability at all times, a system called static balance. They moved slowly, like a walking table. But in the 1980s, a very different approach gained ground. I've traveled to Massachusetts to visit a company that builds robots based on that work. The company's founder, Mark Raybert, has been building walking robots for over 30 years. To Mark, we are less like a static table and more like a pogo stick. To focus on the problem, he built a robot that had only one springy leg. It constantly calculated where its weight needed to shift to stay upright. Very pogo stick-like. Even when he added more legs, he kept the bounce in their step and an active sense of balance. For the last few years, Mark has been applying what he's learned to solve a problem for the U.S. military. On rough terrain, wheeled vehicles aren't much use, and soldiers often haul everything on their backs, leading to injuries and exhaustion. Mark invites me to see Boston Dynamics' solution out at a nearby park. Meet LS3, also known as Alpha Dog. It's designed specifically for rough terrain, anywhere a soldier might go on foot. And it carries 400 pounds of gear, along with enough fuel for a 20-mile mission. 
So Dave, in this mode, the robot's following uh, the leader. He's got a backpack on that has some reflective stripes on it, and the vision system focuses on that, and then it records what path he takes through the terrain. Is it modeled after a particular animal, an ox or a horse? Not really. We take inspiration from how animals are designed, but then we have to use human engineering tools and human materials. So uh, sometimes it stays like the animal, sometimes it departs. Well, does it ever slip? I mean, what if it steps on an oily leaf or something? It slips, and frequently it corrects for those slips. So the goal is to make it so that the feet can slip and the control system recognizes that it's slipping and compensate by using the other legs. Lots of cool tech on LS3, but my favorite feature, voice control. Power on, engine off, sit, get up, and get me a beer. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. LS3, get up. <laughs> the power! LS3, follow tight. What a good boy. LS3, power off. I think you got something here. What would it take to make it go faster? This is the cheetah. Just like the real deal, its back flexes with each step, increasing the stride of its gallop. Right now, it's the fastest robot with legs in the world. But start looking over your shoulder for the next generation, Wildcat. It's designed to be untethered. Well, that's exciting. That means it's gonna be out there soon and have fun trying to get away from that thing. I mean, isn't that wild? But for those of you who are uh, vertically challenged like myself uh, and might be uh, creeped out by a large alpha pack mule dog looking robot or cheetah looking robot or wildcat robot, whatever, 
They've now come out with a smaller canine version that's even better functioning than its bigger brother. This one's called Spot. Run, Spot, Run. Watch this one. Wider, faster, more agile. Looks like little Spot is whooping up on his big brother there. But he's small enough to jog with, as you saw, or, or put in your office, or, or do all kinds of things for you. And these supply bots, as they're being called, uh, are now coming in all shapes and sizes with all kinds of nifty functions. Check this one out.
Can I translate that for you? What you just saw? With all these new military robotic machines that are not only going to be everywhere, in all different kinds of sizes and shapes and functions in the air, the land, water, even under the water, even popping onto buildings. There's not going to be any place to hide, if you needed to, for some reason that is, in the future. And did you catch that? Horse, mule looking thing? <laughs> Hope that doesn't get mad at you. But folks, what you need to know, this is not some short-lived aberration military experiment where they just got to spend tons of money somewhere to justify their budgets. They are deadly serious about this. No pun intended. And, and, and actually planning on replacing much of the military with these kind of robots everywhere. Listen to this quote. Robots may replace one-fourth, that's right, one-fourth of the U.S. combat soldiers by 2030, says General Robert Cohn. They're called MARS, M-A-A-R-S, or Modular Advanced Armed Robotic Systems, or GunBots. Remote-controlled GunBots is the term they're using now. In fact, even the news is starting to report on this new military trend. Now, you might think the prospect of killer robots stalking the battlefield sounds like science fantasy, but as well as unmanned aircraft, the U.S. already has thousands of military robots in Afghanistan. And now a Russian team have built one, too. Artist Barton reports. Could the armies of the future look like this? Well, not just yet, but militaries around the world aren't ignoring robot technology. The US has been using unmanned drones for a number of years. Now it's testing land-based robots in Iraq and Afghanistan, which, despite being in their early stages, are showing a lot of potential. But what about Russia? Well, a team from Moscow Bauman Technical University have been at work on some answers. This was the team's first creation. It's a bomb-detecting and destroying robot. First, it analyzes the package with these sensors here and then destroys whatever explosives inside with high-powered water jets just here. This was the team's first creation, and then they then moved on to military robots like this one. This is a spy robot. It's able to look around corners and up into first-floor windows with an extendable camera. And then, if it needs to call in fire support to tackle the bad guys, it calls on this next robot. In fact, these creations are the latest in a long history of robot development in Russia. Longer than you might think. In 1938, Russian robot tanks were invented. They took part in the Russian-Finnish war. The person who controlled it was in a shelter pressing buttons. He was able to see the tank and to control it. The tank attacked and shot on its own. But despite this early innovation, Russian robot development has been largely ignored since the 70s. The U.S. took the lead and now has thousands of robots operating in Afghanistan. This team wants Russia to catch up. But will their robot meet with approval from the Russian army? I can't give you a definite answer if this robot will be used in our army, but we hope so. It may not be this exact model, but something improved, modified and modernized. Robots don't rule the battlefield yet, but thanks to Ilya and his kind, this might be a shot in the right direction. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is 
we have sinned. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem, that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says, uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. Don't ever bear false witness. That's the Ninth Commandment, which means lying. So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy of getting to heaven? Just march on in there yourself, all by yourself. You don't need God's help? Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pulled the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer. And the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary, but please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.